This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so I want to start off talking a little bit about this week's parsha and the Dvatara I'm going to say, my opening Dvatara is a game changer. And um, I spoke last night somewhere, and Lamaisa, I think of all the things I've ever said, this is probably one of the most amazing Dvatara that I ever heard. And I'm going to repeat it. So this week's parsha is parsha's Kedoshim. Right? It's in Vayikra, Pash Kedoshim. And it talks about the things that make us different than the rest of the world. What makes us holy. Kadosh comes from the word holiness. Right? So it says the following. Hashem said to Moshe speaking, Speak to the, the congregation of Kla Yisrael. Right? Say to them, Kedoshim to you. Tell the Jewish nation that they should be holy. That we should all be holy. Why should you be holy? Why should anyone in this room be holy? Why should you be holy? So the Pazit tells us, Ki ani Hashem Because, Hashem says, because I'm holy, you should be holy. That makes no sense. Hashem, you're holy, you're God. I'm, I'm a person, I'm... I'm Rima Vesaleya, I'm made out of dust, I'm come from dust, I'm going to dust. I should be holy because you're holy? You're God, I'm not God. That's not a reason for me to be holy. So what does this mean that we should be holy because Hashem is holy? Terrence is amazing, the answer is amazing. And it's something that I speak a lot about, and I spoke a lot about it last night. Hashem is saying the following, even though I'm God, and I can tell you to do whatever I want to tell you to do. Still, if I expect you to do something, I have to set an example. So the reason you should be holy is not because I tell you to be holy. You don't do what you're told. You do what you see. So Hashem says, Ki kadosh ani. I have a right to tell you you're holy because I'm setting an example of holiness. Whatever Hashem tells us to do, He does. He can't, doesn't ask a human being to do something that He doesn't do. So the opening, and I, I spoke to a bunch of parents at Head Start last night in Borough Park. He said the opening statement in Pasha's Kedoshim, which talks about being holy, is you can't expect anyone else to do something unless you do the same, unless you do it yourself. You should be holy, Kikadosh Ani. Because I'm holy, I have a right to ask you to be holy. But if I'm not holy, I don't have a right to ask you to do something that I don't do. This is God. God's saying, even though I'm God, I don't have a right to tell you to do something if I don't set an example. And I think that one of the biggest problems in parenting in our generation is that we do expect things from our children that we don't set an example for them. You know, we, we, I get called all the time, uh, I lost trust in my daughter, I found a, a, a smartphone in, in her, in her drawer, in, in the house, and I found a video player, and I can't believe it, how could she do this to me? I don't trust her anymore, Rabbi Wallenstein, she'll never get my trust, and I'm like, tell me, like, what kind of phone do you have? I have a smartphone, but I'm an adult. I'm like, well, what do you think if you have a smartphone and you tell your daughter that a smartphone is going to cause you all kinds of trouble, it's a very bad thing, and the internet's a very bad thing, and I'm listening to my mother tell me this, right? 
Well, my mother has, has the phone. I'm thinking to myself, one second. And my mother even tells me, when you're my age, then you can have a phone. One second, Ma. You're smarter than me. You're holier than me. You're an adult. If this thing was so bad, why would you have it? Just the opposite. I'm a kid. I want to have fun. I have social pressure. Whatever it is, right? So I do stupid things. But Ma, you don't do stupid things. So you can't ask your kid not to have a smartphone. I don't care if she's 12, 11, 10. I don't care how old she is. You cannot ask your child not to have a smartphone if you have one. Because you cannot explain to them that, well, I'm an adult and you're not. Because it's just the opposite. I, I, I was just at a, at a bar mitzvah and all these kids were coming up and drinking vodka and scotch and all this other stuff. And they were like, so I heard this one kid turn to the other one and say, wow, that's a good scotch. It's 21 years old. Yeah? <laughs> so I walked over to the kid and she was a kid. And I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 14. I said, the bottle is seven years older than you. You can't drink the bottle. The bottle can drink you. You're only 14. How does this kid know about a 21-year-old bottle? How does he know the difference between a 21-year-old and an 11-year-old or a 6-year-old? And he was so excited he had to show his friend. Because his father buys 21-year-old scotch. And his father says how good it is. And all the friends come over to drink it. And how expensive it is. And what store sells it. So, so... I, I'm 21, and America says that when you're 21, you can drink, because you're an adult, because you're right old enough. How many people die every year in car accidents? How many people die that are hit by drunk drivers? The most accidents in the United States of America are done by drunk drivers. The most vehicle, the most vehicle deaths are done by drunk drivers. Are those drunk drivers under? 16 or under 21? No, most of them are older guys. So drinking is not a good thing. And if you drink, you can't tell your kid, well, I'm an adult and you're not. Because if you're an adult and you're smart, and this, if this thing is bad, this is bad, and you're an adult and you're smart, and you do it, I'm stupid, I'm a kid, I surely should do it. Works the other way around. So people don't understand that they see things going on in their house and stuff happening, and they get all upset. When they're doing the same thing, I have a right to ask my daughter not to, not to have a smartphone. I don't have a smartphone. So I set an example. I have a Nebuch phone. I have a learning disabled phone, very learning disabled. Smart people have stupid phones. Stupid people have smartphones. Well, I have a stupid phone. It doesn't have any brains at all. It has no memory. Nebuch, it wouldn't do well. In, it has no memory. It has no IQ. It doesn't do much. It, it, the pictures are teeny. You can't even look at the pictures. You can go like this all day. Nothing happens. It's a stupid phone. It just, just doesn't happen. You can't beam anything across the room. Right? So I have a right. I see an example. I have a right to tell my daughter, listen, I don't have it. So I, I, I'm an adult, and I know this is not good for me, so I don't have one. But to have one and say, I'm an adult, and I, I can do this, you can't, doesn't work. So even Hashem, Pasha Kedoshim says, why well, you should be holy? Because I'm holy. Because I set an example for you. But if I don't say an example for you, I'm God, I still can't ask you to do something. What a crazy lesson. If, you, if we leave right now, you had your share, it's exactly 9.30, you have more than enough to work out with. Because it's a very big question that's asked by all the Mufarshim. Why does it say you should be holy because I'm holy? What does one thing have to do with the other? After my share last night, one of my students came out to me and said, Rebbe, I heard a, an amazing answer, different than your answer. I said, okay, what's the answer? What is because you're ho- because I'm holy, you have to be holy? 
So he said that what the Torah is telling you here is Hashem is telling you that every human being, right, is a part of Hashem. Every neshama comes from Hashem. So Hashem is saying, since I'm holy, and since you're part of me, so automatically you're holy. Since you have a neshama, and you're part of me, it's a compliment. The Torah is telling here a very big compliment. You're already holy when you start. You're born. You're born into this world. You're a holy person. What do you mean I'm a holy person? I'm making you my diapers. What kind of holy person am I? No, but you have a soul in you, and that soul is me, says Hashem. So if I'm holy and you have that and you have that soul in you, you're holy. He said he heard this from someone, it's a beautiful vart. It's a beautiful vart. So I, the Torah is telling you, how do you know you're holy? You're gonna be depressed, I'm not this, I'm not that. No. You need to know that because I am holy, says Hashem, and I am part of you. By Yipach, by Apov, right? By Adam. Hashem blew part of him into us, says Rumafarshim. What did he blow? What did he blow? He sneezed into us? No, he blew in a shaman into us. So it's part of God. So we are all walking around and we all have godliness. So if you walk around and you're depressed, you're like, I'm not holy, I'm bad, I'm a loser, I'm this and that. No. Terry tells you, no, how could you say that? If you, then you say how God, that God's a loser. If you say you're a loser and you have no, you have no, uh, you're not worth anything, then you're saying God's not worth anything because if you're part of God, and if the part of God is, how could you say, that something that a part of God that's in you is nothing is worthless. He says a very big this this pasuk is a very 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 big compliment. So it's a, it's a very very nice. Now it's a very interesting parsha this parsha, and I talk about this all the time. Um, Rabbi Akiva, right? So Rabbi Akiva, Svira, right? All of Rabbi Akiva's um, all of Rabbi Akiva's twenty four thousand Talmidim died. So Sphere is very much connected to Rabbi Akiva. If you look at the Pirkei Avos, I think it's in Perak Kemal, I believe. Rabbi Akiva says a couple of Mishnahs. Let's talk about Rabbi Akiva for a moment. And then we'll look in the Pasuk that he talks about. So what's the story of Rabbi Akiva? The story of Rabbi Akiva is, you had Akiva, you know the song from the eighth day, right? So his name was Akiva. And the first 40 years of his life, he was an off-the-derech kid. Not only was off-the-derech, he never went to yeshiva. He couldn't read the Aleph Bays. And not only couldn't read the Aleph Bays, he used to walk by Tamid HaChamim, and he used to make fun of them. He kicked them, he spit at them, I don't know exactly what he did. He used to make fun of them a lot. Now, what happened? How did he change? So... What does he say? What's the Klagal Batayra? is in this week's parasha. It's in an interesting place. Don't take revenge against your, the people of your nation. You should love your friend like yourself. So everybody asks, what's the Ani Hashem? You should love your friend as yourself. Because I'm Hashem? Again, same question. Because you're Hashem, I should love my friend. What does Hashem, I need Hashem, have to, what? I understand, you should keep Shabbos, can you Hashem? You shouldn't eat Chazer, can you Hashem? You shouldn't talk Oshon Hara, because I'm Hashem. But, that's, that's been all the between me and the other person. Where does the Ani Hashem come from? Now, it's very interesting, because in this week's parasha, you're going to see a lot of things that say Ani Hashem, when you're going to hear the parasha, that have to do with Ben Adam Mechaveru, not between us and Hashem. Right? Then it says, then they say, you should get up for old people. And Hashem. 
You should get up for all people because I, because I, what does that have to do with Hashem, right? There's a lot of Ben Adam Machaber where it talks about giving poor money to the poor. It says also, you should give money to the poor, Ani Hashem. So we see that, we see a lot over here that, um, Ben Adam Machaber, interesting, I have to tell you another thing. It says that you shouldn't do a tattoo. It's just partial also. Um, if anyone ever asks you about tattoos, you shouldn't cut yourself, but you should, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do any, um, tattoos. Like sitnu bachem, you shouldn't do on your body. Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. The Avera is not the tattoo, the Avera is making, is doing the tattoo. In other words, a person who is a guy, and he has tattoos, and then he becomes a Jew, it's not an Avera that he has tattoos. The Avera of the tattoo is doing the tattoo. That's the Avera of the tattoo. So if a person, somebody asks me if I put a tattoo on my body, and then I have it removed by laser, that I do an Avera, yeah, you are Aver. So even though you don't have the tattoo anymore, the Avera is doing the tattoo. So if someone's a gear and he had a tattoo, now he became a Jew and he has tattoos, but he didn't, he didn't make new tattoos, it's not, that's not the Avera. So there also says in Yeshem, and you shouldn't hurt yourself, you shouldn't pull out your hair, you shouldn't cut yourself, because the Canaanim used to do that when they were in pain, when somebody died, well, everything's in the Torah, everything, everything that we do today, that whether it's good or bad, everything's in the Torah. So, what's all this in Yeshem? Why does it say in Yeshem? So, you have to understand... We've spoken about this before. So what does that mean? What kind of mitzvah is that? Let's say I don't like myself. For people, they don't like themselves. They look in the mirror, they're like, I really hate myself. I, I go to therapy for this, but I really hate myself. I'm not happy with myself. So the Torah is telling me that I should hate you. You should, you should love your friend as much as yourself. So if you don't love yourself, you shouldn't love your friend. That's the mitzvah in the Torah. So if I hate myself, and I have to love you the same way I love myself, that means I hate you. I can't be. I can't be. So, what's the real mitzvah? The reyacha or the kamocha? So when you say, I should love my friend like myself, that means that myself has to be my first friend. You should, you should love your friend as much as you which means as much as you, there has to be a you. So the first person you got to work on, first friendship and relationship that all of us have to work on is not that guy or that girl. It's this one. Because after I get this relationship done that I'm, I'm, I'm good with myself, then I can keep the midst of the Torah and love that person as much as myself. That's healthy. If I don't like myself, and I keep beating up myself, that means I got to beat her up. So, the Kal Gadolat Torah is Wahaf Lurecha Kamocha. Your best friend is who? Is Kamocha. Your best friend is you. I always say, you can go to therapist for years, she could try to figure you out. But there's no one in the world that will ever know you better than yourself. No one. You may be in denial, you may not want to look at yourself, you might be scared of yourself, but at the end of the day, you know in your head who you are, what you are, where you are. It takes a person a long time, even if they're good at it, to figure out who you are. You know who you are. So, you have to spend time with yourself. And that's one of the things that iPhones and smartphones and technology and this whole world and everything that goes on in this world doesn't give us a chance to Because the Sata knows that if I don't have a good relationship with myself, then I'm not going to have a good relationship with people, 
if I don't have a relationship with myself, I can't have a relationship with God. So the Pasuk is telling us something here fascinating. The Pasuk is telling us, Hashem. Hashem is saying, if you want to get a relationship with me, to be a Ni Hashem, that I should be your God, that I should have, you should have a relationship with me, first you have to have the Hafta Recha Kamocha. If you don't have, if you're not able to have a relationship with yourself, and in turn, have a relationship with somebody else, you will not be able to have a relationship with Hashem. The people that have a good relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu have very good relationships with other people. You see all the tzaddikim that are, that, that, right, Rapam, all these tzaddikim, they have fantastic midos, they have fantastic relationships with their wives, and they have fantastic relationships with other people. But to have a good relationship with other people, you have to have a good relationship with yourself. If you don't like yourself, you don't like anyone else. What do you see in everybody else? Your stuff. If you're good with yourself, then when you look at someone else, you don't see their bad. If you always see your bad, then of course you're looking for the bad in other people because if I'm bad, you gotta be bad. Aha, I can't be the only bad person here. So the, the first relationship, the most important relationship in a human being's life, is themselves. In order to make that relationship, in order to be healthy, you have to spend time with yourself. You have to think about who I am, where I'm from, where am I going, what are my dreams, what I do right today, what I do wrong today, there's nothing wrong. You don't get depressed. Somebody heard one of my shurim, I think she was a therapist, and she said, you know, Watson, it's very dangerous what you do, what you tell people to do. I'm like, what do I tell people to do? You know, they, they should think about their, 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 the things that they don't do well. You know, that could trigger stuff. I'm like, well, if you don't think about what you don't do well, how are you ever going to do it well? <laughs> you can't fix something. I think it's, it's, it's just the opposite. It's inner strength to realize I said something wrong today. I wasn't patient enough. I had a temper, right? That's not going to trigger anything. So, so now I can fix it. But if I'm not, gonna, I'm not going there, I'm not going to any of my negatives. I'm only talking about my positives. So then you're never going to fix those negatives. It's part of growth. You got to fall when you start walking. You can't. You don't just start walking. You're not a horse. When you're born, you start galloping. You fall, and then you fall, and then you fall until you're able to walk on your own. Shem created us like that. That's that's growth. Growth hurts. Growing pains when you were young, it hurts. That's part of growth. To be able to, not to sit at the edge of your bed and only think about how great I am and not think about all the fallacies. I, I do it all the time. All the time. You know, why was I late tonight? In my car, on my way here, I'm thinking, you, you, you're 45 minutes late. What did you do today that this ended up collapsing That this time? There's people sitting there and you're not here. And I'm thinking about that and I'm going to think about that tonight. These ladies came, they took out of their time and for 45 minutes they sat there and looked at the walls. What did you do today, starting at 6.30 when you woke up this morning, that you are 45 minutes behind where you're supposed to be? i got to figure that out. Because guess what? If I don't figure it out, I'm going to be 45 minutes late next week too. And you're not going to be happy. Actually, I'm not going to be 45 minutes late. I'm going to be an hour late. And then next time an hour, 15 minutes late. So there's something wrong with trying to figure out how you messed up? No. That's growth. Never be scared to do that. And it feels good because when you figure it out and you show up next week at 8.30, you're like, I had to fall to figure it out to make sure this doesn't happen again. So now I know I can't go to the Bronx and think I can give a shit there and then get back here and figure it's only 20 minutes from Queens when you know that Jackie Robinson is going to have all kinds of problems and you can't figure that, well, if I'm wrong, they'll sit there for 40, 40 minutes, but I hope I'm right. No, you can't do that. You, you have to say I can't give that share. Whatever it is, whatever it is you have to figure out, and, and, that, and that takes time to think. You gotta go, I'm going to go home. I don't have an iPhone. I could sit at the edge of my bed tonight and try to figure out why I made 30 people in this room wait for 45 minutes. And does it bother me enough? And should it bother me more? And I got to go thinking. I got to work this out because I did something that's not right. 
The bottom line is, with all the excuses, you're here for 45 minutes. Now, if I had an iPhone, I'd be busy with my friends and busy everywhere else, and I wouldn't be able to do it. But I don't like this phone because it doesn't do anything. So I can sit at the edge of my bed and I can try to figure this out. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because that was Rabbi Akiva. You see, what happened to Rabbi Akiva, he was a shepherd. And he was in the desert. And Moshe Rabbeinu found God in the desert too. And David HaMelech found God in the desert also. And it brings out in the Medrash Rabbah that the best place to find Hashem, the best place, not in a city, is in the desert. Why? Because in the desert there are no people. That's what it says in the Medrash. Where there's no people, you're able to sit and think. Sit. You have nothing else to do. So, maybe Akiva, who was very smart, and a big thinker, who didn't know the Aleph Bays, figured he's 40 years old. Too late. How many people at 40 years old can change their life? Most people think, 40 years old, I'm doing this for 40 years, I can't read. When am I going to go to Shiva? I'm going to go to, to, to nursery school and learn Aleph Bays? Start coloring in a coloring book, the Aleph Bays, the Gimel, with the, with the, with the Shva, and all, I'm a 40 year old guy, I can't, I know, right? So, I'm not going to be able to change. But he was a thinker, and he's sitting there in the desert, and he's thinking you can't change at 40. It's, you just you do the same thing over and over and over, it becomes part of you. And he's sitting there with the sheep, and he's watching water on a rock, water on a rock. And he didn't have a, he didn't have a smartphone, so he wasn't, he wasn't texting. He was actually watching water on a rock. And he saw that there was a hole in the rock that the water was going into. And he's a thinker, and he had time to think. He's out in the desert, there's nothing else to do. And he's like, wow, look at that rock, it's so hard, and look at that water, it's so soft. But because the water keeps jumping on the rock, it makes a hole. I'm 40 years old, but I still have at least maybe another 40 years. Taira is mayim. Taira is water. Maybe if I start learning, it's going to make a hole in my head. It's going to change my life. So he came home. First of all, to talk about his wife, Rachel, was, was amazing. I have come across some girls like that, but the other way around. She saw this, kid, this guy, and he was a nobody. He made fun of Chachamim. He didn't know the Aleph base. Her father was Kalba Savua. Her father was the richest Jew in Israel. I mean, his daughter was on the top of any resume of any Shatchan. Everyone, Shidduch, I mean, Kabul Savua is going to give you at least 20 grand. It's not an $1,800 present. It's Kabul Savua. And she meets this guy, right? Off the derech, 40 year old, off the derech guy, doesn't know anything, doesn't even know the olive base. And she says, this guy has potential. Because what was his potential? He hated Chachamim. I always say that. If someone hates somebody, all you need to do is flip the hate. The more the hate, the more the love when you flip it. So I don't have a problem with, with kids who hate Hashem. I have a problem with kids who, we call it the whatever kid. He doesn't care. He doesn't hate Hashem. He doesn't love Hashem. There is Hashem. There's no Hashem. It's like trying to put a nail in jello. It just, it doesn't go anywhere. So the kids are like, hey, let's talk about God. They're like, God? I don't know. Maybe he is here. Maybe he's not here. Who cares? I'm partying. I'm like, Next. Can't do it. And that guy comes up and says, I hate him. He messed up my life. I'm like, nice, let's talk. <laughs> because you take that energy and you turn it positive, wow. So he, he had this Akiva. Before he was Rabbi Akiva, he had this hatred for Chachamim. Hatred. 
And she saw that hatred. She was brilliant. She saw that hatred and she said, I can change it. I can turn it. I can turn it. Her father said, let me tell you something. You marry this guy, not only I'm not going to support you, I'm not going to make the wedding. I am not coming to, and I've heard this, I am not coming to the wedding. Your family is not coming to the wedding. You are cut off from everything. And she said, okay, I'm marrying him anyway. And he cut him off from everything, not a penny, nothing. And he became Rabbi Akiva. And we all know that he came back after seven years and he heard her say by the window, she was saying that I wish you wouldn't come back. I wish you would learn another seven years. And he learned another seven years. And he said, why don't he go into the house, say hello, stay the night, have a breakfast, then go to Shiva. Because two seven years is much less than one 14 year. Learning seven years, stopping, and then learning another seven years is much less than learning 14 years straight. So he went right back. And then, of course, when he came back, he had thousands of Talmidim, and he said to them, she, everything belongs to her. Okay. So now, Rabbi Akiva, we have to think about who, this, who he was. He's 40 years old, no Torah, anti. He marries this girl who believes in him. He goes, he changes. It says he went to Lama Shishibak Tani, went with all the little kids. He went to Alpha. There's a story in the Gemara, I don't remember. Because they said to him, aren't you embarrassed to go to... Right? And he, he took dirt, and he put it on the, on the back of a chamar, and he put grass... Everybody stopped to see grass growing out of the back of a chamar. And he said, sort of like, that's what I look like when I'm in yeshiva, whatever. But he wasn't, he wasn't embarrassed to do that. And he went to yeshiva and he, he talked. So he came back with 24,000 students. There was no yeshiva in the world. Lakewood, mere yeshiva in Israel, the biggest yeshiva in the world. There was no yeshiva that's even close to 24, not, not only 24,000 students, 24,000 Tamid So he did it. Or novel success. Or novel all over the world. 24,000 students. His dream was fulfilled. Can you imagine? Somebody who didn't learn one word till they're 40, and he's coming back after 14 years. 24,000 students. Unbelievable. What a story. He would be on every Shabbaton, a speaker. Everybody would hire him. About Chuva, who became the Rebbe of 24,000. Wow. And a farmer, and they cut him off at the wedding. He would tell the story. I went with my wife, and they would say, wow, we want her to be a speaker too. What did you see in him? How did you see it in him? The two of them would be across the whole world. Every Shabbaton, they'd be speaking, right? He's successful. He has a great story. And in 33 days, they all die. Every one of them. 24,000 students. In 33 days of plague, he lost everything. Now, if you're not a thinker, Right, hello? Hashem. I did tshuva. She gave up, my wife gave up, her parents, her family, her money. She gave up me for 14 years. She gave up everything so that I should have a yeshiva. How did you do this to me? 24,000 students? I can't, I'm about tshuva and this is what you did to me? Dunsky. It's over, I'm finished. I hit the top? You took everything away? I'm done. What did Rabbi Akiva do? He opened up a new yeshiva. And his Talmidim ended up becoming, Rabbi Yechim ended up becoming the leaders of Klai Yisrael and all the Gemara and everything that we learned today and all the Torah Shabbat there comes from them. Why didn't he give up? He built an unbelievable thing. He came from nowhere. He lost 
everything. He was left with one student. 24,000. They lost every single guy in yeshiva. There was 24,000 shtenders and nobody sitting there. 24,000 <coughs> palace bags, they were all dead. How do you start again? How do you start over? How did he start over? And if you look at the missions and everything that he says, you see where he's coming from. Where did he get the Kayach to start over? Her. His wife. And I've spoken about this with Yosef and his father Yaakov. When you know, when you know in your life that there is someone that will not give up, even if you fail, you failed, you lost them all, even if you fail, you know that person will never give up on you, you will never give up on yourself. Yosef HaTzadik knew that his father Yaakov, what is Dikuno Shalavim, he saw his father, he knew that his father, by mindless, not him, he knew his father would never give up on him, so he could not give up on himself. Rabbi Akiva knew that the woman he married, Rachel, she was like, okay, you lost your whole yeshiva, try it again. You were 40 and you couldn't even read, you got 24,000 Talmidim, now you know how to read, now you know how to learn. Do it again, start again. Of Noah Weinberg, Eishat Torah. I believe he failed in nine yeshivas before Eishat Torah. He used to get up and speak about it. He opened nine yeshivas and each one of them went bankrupt. I believe it was nine, it could be twelve. Before Eishat Torah, he said, I failed nine times, I closed nine yeshivas. But he believed in it. He believed, I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to keep trying. So he, and, and he ended up, he ended up, his Talmudim ended up being the Kala Tairakula. They're the biggest, the biggest Tanam. Call it Tarikula. It came from his wife. So I was talking about, to, in, in, I was talking in Head Start and I said, it can also come from your parents. If you know as a parent, or even as a friend, if your friend knows, no matter how many times you fall, she's like, don't worry, I know you fell, I know, I'm, you can do it. I'm, I'm behind you. I believe in you. Knowing that someone believes in you gives you the power to believe in yourself. So if you're a parent, your children need to know that you believe in them and that you'll never give up on them. And if they know that you'll never give up on them, in the worst times of their life, they will never give up on themselves. But if they think, and we had a lot of tragedies in the last four weeks, a lot of tragedies, if they think that everyone else gave up on them, then they give up on themselves. And when they give up on themselves, very bad things happen to them. So every single person, we're going to talk a little bit about the Kain Gadol, every single person... The people that are close to you need to know that no matter how much they fall and what happens in their life and they're not successful and they tried, I believe, just try again. I believe failure, I don't, I, th- I don't know if it was Lincoln that said it, but someone said it, failure is to not try again. <coughs> failure is not to fall. Failure is not to get up. Falling is not a failure. People fall all the time. But if you lay on the floor and you don't get up, that's failure. Failure is not to get up. So he got up Rabbi Akiva and he had this Kayach and it came from her, totally. She believed in him and we know the Gemara, Kabbalah Subot came to Israel, Rabbi Akiva was giving a share, he said, who's that man who has all these Tamidim at his feet? And they said, that? That's Akiva, he said, that's my son-in-law and he went to me, he asked for forgiveness, I think he gave him a lot, of, a lot, he supported them, whatever it is afterwards, but it's a very, very important lesson. So what he's saying over here is beautiful. He's saying, that so you should love your friend as much as yourself. If you're, if you're very healthy with yourself, and you spend time with yourself, and you know who you are, you won't give up. You'll never give up on yourself. 
you know your strength and your weaknesses, you'll never give up. And automatically, if you don't give up on yourself, and you're going to love your friend as much as yourself, that means you're not going to give up on your friend. If your friend knows that you're not going to give up on him, then he's not going to give up on himself. Chain reaction. Because you don't give up on yourself, you're giving that over to your friend, he's giving it up to his friend. Now you have a bunch of people, a whole group, a whole chevra, that don't give up on themselves. Why? Because each one doesn't give up on the, on the other one. Says Hashem, Ah, if you're able to have a relation with yourself, and you're able to have a relation with other people, then you're going to find out that I'm God. Then you're going to be able to have a relationship with me. You can't have a relationship with Hashem if you don't have a relationship with yourself. If you're miserable with yourself, I met someone last night after my shir, a woman, and she didn't tell me she was an atheist right away, but I knew the minute she came over to me that she had been by my, she was by the speech and she was not very happy because I said something about kids off the derech and it was a little bit demeaning and I realized, and she said to me, you know, kids are not always off the derech because they were abused or someone did something to them. Some people, Rabbi Wallerstein, are intelligent and they figure out through their intelligence that there is no God. You can't just make a statement that people go off the derech and don't believe in God because something happened to them. No, Rabbi. Not something has to happen to you. Sometimes you just can figure it out that there is no God. And I was like, oh boy. Something happened to her. And she said to me, she said, you know, it's intelligence. It's all about intelligence. She said, I had questions since I'm a kid. And intellectually, I was able to think and think and think and think and think about God and think and think and have questions. She said, I used to do even, I used to do Kiruv. I try to find him through Kiruv. I try to find this. I used to do this, do that. And, she said, and, I, and at the end, I came to an intelligence decision that there is no such thing as God. I said, really? I said, so you feel that, you feel that people, that you don't have to have a reason, right? You don't have to have a reason. You just, just you're an intelligent person and you try I said I want to ask you something you're a very intelligent you're a thinker she goes I'm a big thinker I'm like you went on a plane this year maybe to Florida or somewhere she goes yeah I go on planes all the time I'm like can I ask you something you go on a plane you sit on a plane all the time you go 35,000 40,000 feet in the air it's about I don't know two and a half thousand tons of metal do you know how the plane works did you um, take aeronautics did you, did you take a physics class on gravity and, and inertia and why a plane goes 250 miles an hour off and it takes off off the ground? But I'm 250, I'm, I'm 250 pounds and I can run as fast as I want. Am I getting off the ground? Like, how come if you're so intelligent, you're thinking about God, but you're not thinking about a plane? I said, you know anything about gravity? Because you know, that's one of my subjects. I'm like, aha. Uh-huh. So I said, do you understand gravity? She goes, yeah, the earth, the spin, the I'm like, right. I said, do you understand fire? She goes, fire? What about fire? I'm like, did you learn physics? The first theory of physics is the theory of displacement. If you have a cup full of water, and you put half that water into this cup, automatically the first cup displaced half the water. It's called the theory of displacement. You have, it's actually done through sand. If you have a pound of sand, you take half a pound of that sand and put it into another cup. You displaced the first There's only a half a pound left in here. The theory of displacement. I said, fire is the anti of the theory of displacement. Because fire is the only thing that you can take a candle 
and light a hundred candles and the original candle didn't lose anything. I said, and at the same time, fire is the disprovement of gravity. Gravity pushes everything down. When you light fire, the flame goes up. When you turn the candle downwards, the flame still goes up. I said, so fire is anti-gravity and anti the first theory of physics. Did you ever think about that? No, I didn't. I'm like, so why specifically such an intelligent girl like you who goes on planes and lights fire all the time never thought about these subjects? Do you want to know why? Because God's bothering you. Now, if we find out why God's bothering you and what happened to you, then maybe we can figure out what your real question is. But your real question is not on God. And she stood there and she's like, well, I did go through some stuff. I'm like, yeah. So here's my number if you want to talk about the stuff. It's not about God. I said, the stuff came before the problem, before the questions. The questions never come before the stuff. I'm like, hey, you're such a brilliant person. Then she told me, by the way, I'm part of footsteps. I'm like, oh, shalom aleichem. I was like, I didn't know it. I was like, oh, shalom aleichem. I said, now I understand. I said, but you know what? You're part of footsteps. You went to footsteps for a reason. You went to footsteps because something. And then I told her, I told her, she happens to be intelligent. She happens to be a therapist, whatever. She's an intelligent lady. I said, you know, you're a therapist. So I'm just going to talk to your therapy. And I, you know what? I spoke in this place last night. There was a, a lot of people there. And when I walked out, I realized they didn't come for all those people. I talked about Chinuch. I came for her because I totally famuzzled her head. Totally ruined her night. I said, you're a therapist. I said, don't you know that nobody leaves their environment willingly? I said, you went to a from family? Yes. I said, you went to from schools? Yes. I said, so you, would you say that as a young girl, your environment was a from environment? Yes. I said, did you ever hear a person get up, an Alaskan Eskimo, get up one morning and say, I don't want to be Eskimo. I want to go to Miami. 95 degrees. They're not interested. They wouldn't even know how to live in Miami. Right? No guy in Miami just woke up a Floridian with a pool in the backyard who goes swimming every day in 95 degrees and it's 105 degrees in the summer. Right? Olsen wakes up. Ma! I want to be an Eskimo. Why? We are creatures of our environment. So much so that we don't even want to move to the house next door. This is my house. My eyes closed. I know where my bathroom is. I know where my kitchen is. I'm very much like that. I would never move out of. I would never, unless I go to Eretz Yisrael. Not interested. I've been. I've been given offers to move to places. They'll pay me. They'll buy me a house. They'll buy me a car. They'll, they'll put money in my bank account. I should be the rabbi. I'm like not interested. Do you have a pizza shop open two o'clock in the morning on 13th Avenue named Amnon? You don't. No, do you have Goldbergs on 18th Avenue open 24 hours, 24 hours at 5 o'clock in the morning? I want to go shopping, I can go shopping. 24 hours. I said, you have a Shem with Shabbos that at 2.30 I get off a plane, I get there at 3.15 and there are 20 other Meshugam Davini Meyer with me at 3.15 in the morning? You don't have that either. You have a Munkach where I can down Mincha at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? You don't have that either. I am so used to where I live, right, that I'm not interested in all your money. I, I know my people, I know my shul, I know my Ornava, I know my... We are creatures of our environment. For, for someone to leave their environment, you got to rip them out. Something has to really happen.
So I said to her, I said, I have never met a kid who grew up in a firm family that left that environment that just woke up in the morning and said, no God, I'm out of here. Doesn't happen. Something happened. And you have to find out what happened. Because then if you fix what happened, because the rest of stuff is bluff. The God stuff is bluff. All that stuff, the question, it's all bluff. It's not what's really going on. What's really going on is something happened. And you got to fix what happened. The rest of it is just symptom. It's just symptomatic. So she turns around to me. So I said to her, you came from a from family? I don't need to know. I found that afterwards. People came over to me. They saw me talking to her. They're like, wow, you spoke to her? She's like the atheist of all atheists. I'm like, yes. You spoke to her? You seem to have gotten to her. I'm like, I'm like she comes from a from family. You don't, you don't just... You just don't wake up and, and step out. There's a reason. So she turned around to me. Listen to what she said. She's a very smart lady. She says to me, So Rabbi Wollaston, would you say that a Balchuva who was born into a non-from environment, who never kept shops, never ate kosher, was brought up by secular parents, who becomes from, she also left her environment. Would you say that any one of them did it because of a reason? Something happened. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. They weren't happy. They went for a Shabbos. They saw, their parents don't get along. They came to Shabbos. They saw these two people and their whole family. Shabbos is the biggest reason for people to change their lives and become from because Shabbos pushes them out of their environment. Their environment is... Nobody talks to each other. Sunday, when they, they have off, everyone's watching football, and there's not, and all of a sudden they walk into this environment where people are sit, supposed to be sitting with their kids, and there's good food, and there's laughter, and there's miros. And you take 80%, I would say, out of the 100, 80 out of 100 people that become Balichuvas because of Shabbos. You don't just wake up in the morning and find God either. Could be you're not happy with your life. Could be, you feel guilty about something. You just don't wake up, you're, you're a secular person like, I want to be from my wife. I want to have payas in a beard. Doesn't happen. I said, I told you, you're right. You're 100% right. Something happened to those people that pushed them out of their environment, that made them from. Haraya, the rest of the family didn't become from. The rest of the environment stayed the environment. She became from, but the rest of her family isn't from. Why? Because something happened to her. It happened to all of them. It happened to her. And whatever that happened to her, Baruch Hashem, she, she used it to come in. The problem with it is, it's about true with kids. Because the Balchuva became a Balchuva because something pushed her out of her environment, this environment, but their kids are born into a different environment. So they're not the same, they're not coming from the same place for the same reason. So they have a struggle. Because whatever pushed that other person out, now they're all excited. They found, they were Eskimos, and they lived in the cold and the freezing, and the guy lost his job, and now he moved to Miami, and oh my gosh, there's a thing called a pool, and there's a thing called an ocean, and there's a thing called a beach. Holy moly, and it's 85 degrees, and we don't have to sleep under an ice in an igloo, and we don't have to freeze and put on a hundred different things, and we don't need dog sleds. We can actually get into a car and drive, right? And like, wow! So they get all excited, because they but now their kids were born in Miami. They didn't come from Alaska. They're not excited. They were born in Miami. What do you mean, dog sleds? I don't even know what that is. So they're not excited. That's about their parents who came from the igloo. So now the parents don't understand why my child is not as excited as me. Because your child was born into the environment. So the child's environment didn't change. Your environment changed. And that's one of the hardest things. 
because you expect from your children to have that same excitement you did. You came from a different environment. Why was that a test? Hashem said, wherever you're going to go, I'm going to make you rich, I'm going to make you famous. He had no children. I'm going to give you children. He should have gotten on it and should have ran. It was the second to hardest test. After Akedas Yitzchak, the second to hardest test was not jumping in the fire, it was Lachlacha. What's the, what's the test? Moladacha. It's where you were born, it's your language. Base of Vicha, your whole family is there. It's, it's your land, you're used to the money, you're used to the, you, it's, it's, it's United States, you know. He speaks about this. Rabbi Shimshon Pikas has an amazing, and I'm, I'm guilty, I'm also guilty, has an amazing shear. I never spoke about this shear, but he's an amazing shear. The power of an environment. Anyone in this room, you tell me. When you get off in Kennedy Airport coming from Israel, okay, and you come to the passport control, and there's a line that says foreigners, and there's a line that says USA residents, you feel great. I'm an American. Anyone who tells me they're not, they don't feel great, I don't believe them. You get on that line, you look at all those Nebuch foreigners, they gotta go stand on one line, you're in, you open that, even, even when you open your passport, you show the American Eagle on it, if you're an American, this one's from South America, and so, ah, green color, red color, purple color, American passports. You go in there to throw, you pull out that you're in trouble, you were speeding, the cop pulls you over, Mishtara, you're like, uh, I'm an American. I need law, I don't speak Hebrew, I don't know what you're saying. And you have that American, you feel very proud. You come out of Canada, wherever you go, oh, I come out of Canada, I'm like, so happy when I come to the U.S. Customs. Nothing against any Canadians, but I hate them. Not the Canadians, but I hate Canada because I'm a Ranger fan. And Montreal Canadians always beat the Rangers in the playoffs. So when they used to sing, oh, Canada, in the garden, because you have to sing both, right? We used to boo and throw things, and they threw us out a few times because you have to, it's their answer. So it's not that I don't like Canadians, I love Canadians, I just don't like Canada. Right? So you come through Canada. If you ever come through Toronto, you come through Canada. So you go through the Canadian border, and then you have the U.S. Customs guys. And I'm like, fine, man. I'm so happy to be back. Because, right, and he talks about, he says, American Jews. He's talking about himself. He says, American Jews were so proud to be Americans, but we're not so proud to be Jews. In fact, imagine, I don't want to say Lashon Hara, but imagine... If there was a line for foreigners, Americans, and Jews, <coughs> what line would you go on? Were you a little Yankee camp and you go to the American line? So he's saying, you, you don't feel that when you come into Eretz Israel. Just the opposite. I, I'm talking about myself right now, right? What's the first thing they ask you when you come to the Israeli passport control? Do you have an Israeli passport? Every time you show me your American passport. Do you have anyone that lives here? No. Do you have, an, you have an Israeli passport? Absolutely not. I only have an American passport. You're so proud not to be an Israeli. <laughs> he talks about it then, Rabbi Shimshin. That's many years ago. He says, think about it. That's your environment. You're an American. You're not an Israeli. You're happy not to be an Israeli. You don't have a dark on Israeli. And they ask you, they look at me, you see the yarmulke. You have, a, you, have a, you have an apartment? You have a house? Anyone live here? Were you born here? I'm like, I, I have an American passport. You sure you have one passport? I'm like, lady, I got one passport. I am an American. And when you say it, it's like, I'm an American. It would be so bad to have an Israeli passport? You're embarrassed to have an Israeli passport? Yeah, I'm an American, I'm not an Israeli. 
I'm not an Israeli. I'm not one of you guys. I'm not an Israeli. I don't have that. I'm an American. And wherever you go, you show your passport. I'm an American. Don't touch me. Stay away from me. I'm special. I'm an American. So, yeah, that is environment. And one of his shows, he's trying to, he says, even, the, even the, you're from, you're good, you're a good person, you learn Hashem, you learn mitzvahs, you learn the daf, you do everything you want. But you don't want an Israeli passport. You don't want to be, you don't want to be identified like that. I'm an American. It's so good to be an American. You come back, I have what's it called now, um, that I just go through, you know, I don't have to wait. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. Whoever doesn't have it, you're silly. You have it on your, your, wherever you go, TSA, that's it. You walk up, TSA, American, yeah. In Europe, especially, I was in England. I was like, wow, pull out my American passport. They don't like us, but, right? You can't touch me, I'm an American. Environment is huge. It's so huge that the Frumus Jew, he, 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 he goes onto that U.S. line and he's very proud that he's a, you know. I come in, I see these guys, I'm like, so? I'm coming from Eretz Yisrael, girls. I'm coming from Kodesh Kedoshim. I'm going like Boim I'm coming from the Kodesh Kedoshim. I'm coming from Eretz Yisrael. I get off that LL plane. I am so happy to walk through that U.S. Customs. And I'm always like, so how are the Yankees doing? Just to be like, you know, like, don't look at me like I'm a foreigner. I am a Yankee fan. Environment. It's very powerful. So when you see someone that leaves that environment, there's something very wrong. Something happened. And I told her this last night. And I said, you can get my phone number from the, girl, the people who run this. Do you want to go give me a call? And I found out afterwards that this woman went through crazy trauma. Crazy trauma. A guy told me today, he said, well, do you know who you were talking to last night? I'm like, no. And he told me her name. I'm like, no. He goes, I don't want to say what happened to her. But a lot of people know the story. She went through crazy trauma. And that's when she went off the derech. So she didn't just wake up one morning because she's intelligent and have questions on Hashem. Something happened. So that's a very, just in a, has nothing to do with my shir tonight, but it does because it's environment. Environment is, is, so Rabbi Akiva, and we'll end with this, wrote a few Mishnahs in Pirkeiros. And from his Mishnahs, I'm not going to learn them all tonight, maybe we'll, we'll do a little bit more tomorrow night, but from his Mishnahs, you see what what he went through. So his first Mishnah, he says, Rabbi Akiva, I'm a schaik v'kalosh roish. Makari. That's what he used to do. He used to, he used to do that to the rabbis. Makari. He used to mock the rabbis. And levity. Making jokes. Not saying anything serious. Margilas Adam Le'erva. will bring a man to immorality. Misoires Shogla He said... Learning the Messiah, in other words, doing what your parents gave over to you from their parents, that will protect Minhagim, will protect the Torah. Minhagim, old Minhagim, Minhagim, Minhagim are protective. One of the problems with Pesach, and I'm part of that problem because I'm part of a hotel, is that we, we, we broke our Minhagim. We used to not my family and most families my, when at my age there was, there was no such thing as drinking colored soda on, on Pesach you drank either water with this raspberry syrup which everyone used to drink now they're probably out of business because no one drinks it anymore or you drank Vichy green bottled Vichy water that had little salty water today they put them in purple bo- blue bottles and they, it's very fancy but in those days it wasn't and that's it we, there was no such thing as colored soda 
and then it became colored soda, Mayim Chaim, had all the colored soda, and then Coca-Cola. And now it's Coca-Cola, and, then, and Diet Coca-Cola, and regular Coca-Cola, right? So Coca-Cola on the Pesach, on the Seder table, sort of doesn't fit to the way it used to be. I'm part of it. I'm not, I have Coca-Cola. I'm not, I, I'm not saying differently, but yeah. So Minhagim, he realized, because he was a thinker, that you find a heter for everything. But Masaira, that's going to protect the Torah. Then he said, you have to give Maisa from your money. If you give Maisa from your money, you'll end up being able to keep your money. Sometimes you have to make promises in order to separate yourself because you're not strong enough. But you know if you make a nether, even though you're not supposed to, but that'll keep you from doing wrong. Now comes the big one. And, and most people learn this wrong. The protective fence for wisdom Shtika is being quiet. Now, it's not wrong. Most people learn that. What does that mean? You want to be smart? Be a listener. Be a listener. I know, I have a friend. He's really smart. He talks very little, but he listens a lot. When there's a discussion, this guy's like glue. He listens, he doesn't say much. He'll say one line that'll destroy everything that everyone said for the last 40 minutes, right? But he will listen the whole time. So one of the translation of this is that the siyag for chachma is shtika you want to be smart just listen stop talking so much but Rabbi Akiva is saying something else maybe he's saying if you ever want to be smart you need to think if you need to think you need to be in a place that's quiet he found Torah in a desert where there was nobody siyag chachma shtika if you want to if you want to become smart you want a fence for for intelligence you gotta, you gotta be in a place where it's quiet. No buzzing and phones and this and that, everything in your ear. You have to be, cause when there's quiet and you go, you do self introspection and you go into yourself, that's when you become smart. That's when the pencil begins to sharpen. That's when you become smart. But if you don't have shtika, if you don't have quiet, so the biggest man to say that is Rabbi Akiva. And we'll say one more thing and then we'll close it because, uh, and we'll do the other two. Like, he says the next thing. This is beautiful. Who are your Aimer? A person is beloved to Hashem because he was, he was created in the Tselem, in the form of Hashem. What's the form of Hashem in his image? There's only one God, there's only one of each one of us. How, how are we the image of God? Tselem comes through with sail. Tsel is a shadow. How do I shadow God? I don't shadow God. A shadow, if you have a shadow of a square, the shadow can't be a circle. The shadow has to be the same shape as the shape that it's shadowing. So if you tell me that I'm a shadow of God, that means there's something about me that shadows exactly what God is. But how do I shadow God? The Territ says, God is only one. Hashem Echad, Ushmol Echad. What's your name? What's your name? Devorah. Devorah. There's only one Devorah. There'll never be another Devorah. There never was another Devorah. There's only one Devorah. Even if she's a Gilgal, it's, it's a mixture of different things, but it's only one Devorah. There was never a Devorah before. So the Tselem, the shadow, how does Devorah shadow God? God is one and Devorah is one. It's crazy. The human being is one. Animals run in packs. Fish run in schools. Right? Humans, every human is different. Every human is one. If you're only one, you're godly. Because God is only one. So that's the shadow that we have of Hashem. That puts a lot of pressure on us. If there's only one of me, there'll never be another one of me. I can't fail. I fail, there's no one to replace me. There's only one Hashem. There's no one to replace him. So, even though it's a great praise, at the same time, it's a great responsibility. Then he says, 
Chavivin Yisrael, we're loved because we're called Banam Lamakam, the children of Hashem. And then he ends with what he found, Chemda Yisera, Shenatan Lem Kli Chemda, and Hashem gave us a Torah, Al Tazayv will never leave it. But he says something very beautiful, and this is what I said over last night, and I want to say this over here. A lot of people think that you don't have to express your feelings for others. This whole machlaik is when it comes to dating. Um, I have I have Yeshiva Shabbat Hashem son-in-laws, and I remember that when he was engaged and he sent the flowers to my daughter, one of them, he didn't write love with his name, like love Chaim. He wrote like sincerely yours or truly yours. So I I don't like to I don't like to interfere, but I love to interfere. So I said I asked him why like so such a cold sign off with flowers after you're engaged. And he says that in Yeshiva they said you're not supposed to sign off till after you're married. How have I after you're married you sign off with that, right? But you're not supposed to write. This is a whole mach- is machlekes with girls and there's a whole thing with parents and that should you write, shouldn't you write? When do you express it? When do you express it? Are you allowed to express it? When you're engaged are you allowed to express it? Uh, uh, oh, after you're married. Right? I hope that people will express it after they're married, whatever it is. So last night when I was speaking, so I was talking about telling your, ch- your children how much you love you, and after you're married, telling your wife, because you see, if my daughter sees me telling my wife that I love her, right, or then, then my, my daughter won't have a problem telling that to her husband. But if my children watch a marriage and they never see any chiba between me and my wife, there's no love, there's no relationship, then they will feel that that's normal. So then, he talked, it doesn't, my son will, I don't have a son, but if I had a son, will, will not know, why should I ever tell, my father never said he loved my mother. No, I said it in the bedroom, I said it behind Bart, but he doesn't know about that. So he's like, why should I tell you I love you? My, my parents had a great marriage, and my father, I never heard my father say those words. So, so it's not a healthy thing, because we learn marriage, we don't learn it in school, that's for sure. And we should not be learning it on television or in movies, that's for sure. So where do you learn marriage? From your parents. So it's a whole thing, should you show, shouldn't you show? So I said, I said, there's a mission. I said it last night. I was going to see them. There's a mission in Pirkei Elvis. Rabbi Akiva wrote this mission. And what, is, what does he say? He says, Hashem loves us that he, 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 he created us in his form. But an extra love is that he told us. Because the Pasuk says, Just that he loves us without telling us that's nice, he loves us, but that's not a chiva yisera. Then he says, Chaviv and Hashem loves us, that, he called, that we're in we're his children. Chiva yisera, but he shows his extra love, that he wrote it, Banam Atem La Hashem. He wrote, I love you. He wrote, Banam. Chaviv and Yisrael, Shini Lein Hashem loves us, he gave us the Torah. Chiva yisera, that he wrote, Kilech HaKtoyv Nesati. So we see from Rabbi Akiva, we see from this Mishnah, that Chiva yisera, the, the extra love, the real love, is Shnei Daslai, that you tell the person. Commissioner, I didn't make this up. So Hashem, it's like, there's this poor man, and he comes to me, and he's collecting money, and he doesn't know that someone, his cousin just died and left him $20 million, and they put it into an account, and nobody told him. So for the rest of his life, he has $20 million in the account. He's a multi-millionaire. And he's collecting tzedakah. He's a poor man because he doesn't know. So even though he's very rich, he's really very poor because he doesn't know the money's in the account. So when people tell me, my kids know I love them. Do you ever tell them that? No, I have to tell them that. They know it. No, there's $20 million in the account. I understand that you love But they don't know the $20 million in the account. So they're walking around. My mother doesn't love me. 
how can my, how can my daughter tell you ever often that, that I don't love her? Are you crazy? I love her like, there's nothing more than I love in the world. Do you tell her that? No, I don't have to tell her that. She knows that. There's $20 million in the account, but nobody told her about the $20 million. Says Rabbi Akiva, if you want someone to know that you love them, you need to tell them that. You need to tell your kids. You need to tell your husband. Husband has to tell his wife. You need to tell your friend that you care about her. What do you mean? She knows I care about her. I do this and I do that. Maybe she thinks you only do that because you expect her to do it back. So Rabbi Akiva, who understood relationship because his wife gave up everything in the world for him, he wrote a Mishnah and said, do you want to know what real love is? Real love is when you tell the person your relationship. like That's the real that's the real love. And Akash Baruch Hu tells us every time he, he has a relationship, he's Banamatam Hashem or the Torah, or that we tell him all the Kim. Akash Baruch Hu always says it. And I, and I always say this, and tonight when you, I don't know, you dab Mayrav, you don't dab Mayrav. Tonight when you dab Mayrav, right? You say, Shema Yisrael. You say, Hashem, right? Hashem wants, says, you have to love Hashem. You have to love Hashem with your whole heart. You know what Hashem says? I cannot ask you to do that. Until I tell you first that I love you. So what's the bracha that you say at night before you say Kriyashma? What's the bracha before Hashem asks you, not only at night, in the morning too. In the morning before you say Kriyashma, right? What's the bracha? What's the last bracha? Last bracha. It's like this. Bracha to Hashem. Bless you Hashem. Habaycha ba'amu Yisro ba'ava. Who chose Kli Yisrael with love? Ah, now that Hashem said He chose us with love, now He can ask us to love Him. Hashem said, "I'm not even going to ask you to love me before I tell you I love you." So Hashem doesn't Hashem doesn't do anything that He doesn't that He doesn't want us to do. So first, first Hashem says, "I chose you with love." Now, if I chose you with love, I can ask you to love me back. But if I don't tell you first that I love you, then I can't ask you to love me back. And at night, we say the same thing. Before we say Kriyashma, it's all about love. We say before Kriyashma, I'm sure people are going to write me, no, you shouldn't talk like that. It's not, love's not a, uh, love's not a good word. Love's a very good word. Love is, 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 is hav, right? Hashem tells us in Kriyashma, Vahafta, it's Hashem alakecha, the whole of with your whole heart, right? Your love do not remove from us forever. Baruch Hashem, blessed to you Hashem, Ohev Amo Yisrael. Bless you, Hashem, who loves your nation, Yisrael. Okay, now that we know that you love us, now you can ask us to love you. So Hashem doesn't ask us anything more to do than He would do. And that goes back to Kedoshim to you, to go all the way around. I can't ask you to be holy until I'm holy. Same thing, I can't ask you to love me until I tell you that I love you. We should all feel very loved. Have a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.